Curva Mundial listeners can get 20% off their next order at Football Devotion. For football designs with a difference, head over to footballdevotion.com and use code CURVA for 20% off your order. That's code CURVA. Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono, and today my next guest is someone who I've been looking forward to having on this podcast since it started. He's the author of the acclaimed Maradona trilogy, including Once Upon a Time in Naples, the book that became the basis for Asif Kapadia's brilliant documentary, Maradona. Please welcome to the show, Napoli and Manchester United supporter and my friend, John Ludden. Benvenuto, mate. Good afternoon, Sal. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. As I stated in the intro, you're someone who I've wanted on for quite some time, and I'm so grateful we had a chance to hammer this down and get you here. For me, you're one of football's literary North Stars, someone who is, oh. takes this game that we love and translate it, translates the poetry on the field and brings it to the page. It's a Herculean task as someone who has tried many times to do what you've done, thanks to the inspiration you've given, but I've failed miserably, but you can do it beautifully. So how did you get into writing about this game and just bringing out every single solitary piece of emotion that not only the fans go through, but the players themselves? I, I just love the game, Sal. I've loved it since it was, uh, since it was a very, very small kid. I just think it's, it's it kind of encapsulates life football because it's everything's in there. You've got your passion, you've got your, your ups, you've got your down, you've got your desperations, especially when you follow our two clubs. <laughs> right, never right. short of that. And I, I just think football is like, I, it sounds really, really corny, but the best way to describe it is like, football's like life. It's like a game. It's just got everything in. Yeah. And I've, I've just always loved it. it and it takes you away. Right. You know, if, Bad time as well. It takes you to different places. You know, I've I always just... looked at it as a beautiful way to learn geography, learn culture, learn absolutely, learn yeah. the world around you. Because it's not just the English game anymore, and it's not just the Italian game, and it's not just the American no. game. I mean, we we're going to talk about Napoli. Napoli won thanks to a gentleman from Georgia and a gentleman, a superstar from Nigeria. So it's sort of you know, it's beyond it. That that goes beyond anything of Italy's borders for sure. Yeah. So it's beautiful, it's beautiful. You came on my radar. You came on my radar years ago, uh, thanks to a beautiful introduction by our friends Nimit Tavali Ruzzari and Carlo Garganesi <laughs> of the brilliant Italian football podcast. As they told yeah. me to read Once Upon a Time in Naples, and then after that, I was just hooked on your work. What compelled you to write that specific book? Well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's 18 years old, this book. What? People, yeah, 2005, it, it was originally published, so. And it was, the, the book The book came about when I was actually on honeymoon, believe it or not. It was, <laughs> was, not, not, we, was uh, we were staying in Sorrento, and I kept coming across these posters of the Napoli team. This was like five years after Maradona and after Diego had left and like five years, six years since they last won it. And I kept coming across these posters with Diego ripped out. There was no, you know, it'd literally been torn out, met the dog, the dog across. 
quite a few posters. And I went in this, I went in this gift shop. There's this little guy sat behind the counter, you know, like they do, he's reading the local paper, the radios on, and he's he's got his little glasses over his nose. And he had a picture up as well as an old guy. And the missus had gone off spending all my money. And I'm in there. And I thought, I've got to ask him, because like the picture's up there, no Diego. So I just said to him, I says, excuse me. Senor, I says, where's Diego? And he, he just put his, he put his paper down, looks at me. You know, someone looks at you over the glasses. <laughs> he give you that look. And he just said, uh, great player, magnificent player, bad man. Oh. And that always stuck with me. You know, because at, at the time, I, we had Italian football over it, but we didn't, We I knew a Maradona at Napoli, but it wasn't till... Diego had gone that one of our television channels started showing the games, you know, live every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Before that, you you just, you needed the old satellite dish, you know, at your local Italian restaurant to go and watch the game if you would look at it. And, uh, and that just got me fascinated. And anyway, my first book came out in 2001 and I did one single chapter. It was Fields of Fire, the greatest football matches ever, blah, blah, blah. And I did one chapter on Diego. In one of the chapters was Diego in Naples, and the seven years was put into one chapter, and that's where it came from. Wow. And the second book was like four years later, because I was still working full time then, was uh, Once Upon a Time in Naples. But at the time, the, the first edition, I'm still really proud of it, there wasn't as much available. You know, the internet was, you get your stuff off your internet, but it's, and the bits on the on YouTube. But when Diego passed in 2020, everybody opened up. So all these stories suddenly came from... Right. You know, right. So that's when I did the uh, the edition, the 2022 edition. Because the original, the publisher went bust after just two months after that book came out. Oh, wow. And, yeah, all them original books got sold off. I never, I never got a penny. Oh my God! Are you serious? So, seriously, yeah, they all got sold off in an auction. So these books went around the world, and I, I just carried on working me in my warehouse. You know, I just, I kind of not stuffing out of me for a bit, but I'd, I'd put my email at the front of the book, and I, and I started getting emails from people who were reading the book. You know, around the world, right? And it just told me how much they was enjoying it. It's a fantastic book. And some of the characters got. I had the a Palestinian police officer emailed me in 2008 when the Infatada was on when they were battling the Israelis, and he was reading it while he's being shelled. Oh my god! Yeah, that was. I still got the email. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, I had another one off an English doctor in Congo. He was also. He kind of attracted civil wars. He was in the middle of a civil civil war, and he was reading it. I had. Uh, just different places. And then I got, about 2011, I got an email off a, a guy called Paul Martin. He was a film, he was a producer. And he picked the book in a book up in LA airport. And I'm thinking to myself, how the bloody hell has that book got into, into LA airport? But he said he'd be interested in making a documentary in it. In it and I, I just asked for permission. I just said, go ahead. I had nothing to lose because I'm working full time. It was, you know. Right. Anyway, Paul just pushed it and pushed it and he never stopped. So he kept going with that book. 
And he spoke to all the top producers, the Paul Crowders, who did one about the New York Cosmos. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a fantastic doc. Yep. Uh, but an Oscar-winning guy. He, he, he spoke, Michael Winterbottom, he spoke to all the... T- and it was just bad timing with all of them. Wow. And Papadia got involved. I think he was coming off Senna. Yes. Finished. Yeah. He, no, he was coming off Amy, maybe. Oh, maybe he started it right after Senna, but... It yeah, was... I think I think Paul got hold of him just after Senna and he was knackered. He says, I can't do any more South American <laughs> So he went away and he did aim it. And then after that, they got back together again and then they bought the book. And uh, Maradona came out in 2019. I've lost touch with COVID, mate. I can't. I think it's June, June 19. And that's the story of it. It was going for uh, 12 wow. years. Or it even, you know, that, that book will outlive me. Wow. It's just got a life of its own. And here's the thing. And I think that why, I mean, look, we have, we're going to touch upon the, the spirit of Maradona in a few minutes. But I think for me, and I've said this many, many, many times on this podcast, is that in an era where we find people all over the world, on social media trying to strive for perfection or if someone did something wrong in another lifetime that they should be written off in this lifetime that there's no opportunity for forgiveness but for me diego kind of embodies all of that he is the devil and god raging on a soccer field yeah um but he was but he was the most human of any of us that has ever lived because he wore all his his pride and passion on one sleeve and all of his faults and issues on the other. I'm not saying that he's the greatest man that's ever lived, but I am saying that he can, he's, he's an example of that mistakes and things can be made. But if, but if the, but if you can manage to change the world around you for good or bad, you know, you will still have, not, not that we're all we're all gonna pass on right one day, but we're not gonna have that acclaim. We're not gonna have that. But like for what he did, not just for Argentina, not just for Naples, but for global football, and yeah. this game is is un, is truly unbelievable. Like as much as you know, we admire and love, of course, Pele. But Pele was just he was he was a magician. It was things that you'd never seen before. But there was something about Diego, and I think because Diego, everyone can relate to him. Because of the, the fucking mistakes that he's made in life. Yeah, and all the bad I was just going to say that. Made. Yeah, yeah. He, he was imperfect on yeah. himself. So he was human. That's it. He was human. Do you know what Paul used to describe him when he was second? He described the, when he was trying to sell the book as Scarface in football boots. That was the story. <laughs> it's so true. Yes, that's it. And I, that's always stuck with me. And I, I totally agree. I read a story when he when he got done for the drugs in the USA in ni- 1994, mm-hmm. which I'm still th- I still think that wasn't doesn't ring true with me. What happened there? I right. think there was a lot, I think there was a lot more of him on it. He was just a good target. Right. But when he was riots in Bangladesh and India when they threw him out. Because at the time he was he was a he was he was right against George Bush when he was he was in Cuba. His right. best mate Fidel Castro. <laughs> and he was talking about with F U C K Bush on. Right. And uh I think for these kind of people, he was like a cruise missile. He was like a, a 
poverty-stricken, Miss Alionford, everybody loved him. The third world loved him. Scotland loved him more than anybody after what he'd done to England. Right, right, right. I'll tell you a true story. You know, he got Scotland's Player of the Year in 1986, Diego. I didn't know that, really. Yeah, they, vote, they voted for him. <laughs> Start was brilliant. And I just think he's, Pelé was, I'm not saying Pelé was like, he was like your, uh, your perfect uncle. That's it. That's right. yep. you get, Oh, you get a brother who never makes any mistake, becomes a priest, or becomes right. a liar, politician. Well, Diego's the one who's, you know, sneaking out the window every night, causing havoc. <laughs> but he's always got the talent, you know, he's just and it was it was he was just a, an amazing, astonishing footballer, someone he was to watch. He was just breathtaking. And before the injury he got at Barcelona, he was even better. That's the th- like I kind of there's there's still not even enough video of that era. I mean, as much as video as there is no. that has surfaced, I've watched every frame of it. And you know, I grew I was born in 84, 19 Italia 90 was, and I've talked about this millions of times, but that was the turning point for me when it came to not only soccer but just sports in general. Um, and, and that was my first time I saw him. That, yeah. that was the first time I yeah. saw him. And I remember when he got pulled out the field in USA 94, but it was just watching Diego as a six-year-old was, and again, I'm coming up in an era in America where Michael Jordan is playing basketball. (laughs) You have, and then Diego is on the soccer field. Uh, Mike Tyson is in his prime boxing. It's sort of just, it's the best sports era. And I I, oh, I think okay. I you know and I thank my lucky stars for being born when I was, but I would have. You look at you look at Tyson like and Diego. There's a lot of comparisons, isn't it, when you look at the way they and were? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And they were good friends towards the end too. Oh, hey, what a night out that would have been. Oh, forget it. In that prime. Oh. <laughs> But you had said something earlier, and what Paul had described, Maradona's story, which is Scarface in football boots. Now, tell me a story that I know you know very well, because you've written up on it. Diego, uh, some cocaine, and the Pope. (laughs) Good Catholic boy. Nobody was speaking to me when I put this in the book in our house. He was, he went to visit, he got an invitation to go and see Pope John Paul II. And he took his manager with him, the chap who died a few years ago. It, it took me 10 years to spell his name proper. Uh, what was he called? No, I even forgot his name. It, anyway, Tim, there was, there was his manager, and there was his mum and his dad and his and his girlfriend. And it was a massive thing for his mum and dad to go to the Vatican. Can you imagine it's out for them? One is there from Argentina getting to see the Pope. Right. right. So the... Napoli were playing Roma on the on the Sunday, and he had his invitation was for the Monday morning. So they played the game and they go down to Rome after the game. And his his mum's telling him you stay in the hotel, stay in tonight, Diego. <laughs> you know, have a you know you've got to be on your best thingy for tomorrow. So he's uh, obviously not yes, mum. You know, you don't say no to your mother, dear. So the first thing you do when they get to Rome, him and the business manager, they go out and they get absolutely raving, stone cold, drunk, and you know what. They get in about four o'clock in the morning. 
pair of them. And they're off to see the Pope in the morning. So you can you imagine it? So in the morning, they come down and a pair of them are stinking drunk and his mother's going mad at him. I, said, I can't believe you're doing this. What have you, what have you done, Diego, Diego? Anyway, so they go to the Vatican, get the, uh, they get they picked up and they go in and the Swiss guard let him through and he's, he's let into the, him and, it's only him and the business manager. And they, they go through and all the cardinals are waiting for him. You know, the big long line yep. with the reds and whatever. So he goes along the line, remember he's still half drunk and apparently he's giving them all high fives, they're all putting their hand out, they're all getting high fives all the way down the line. And if he, he finally gets into this the private room where he gets to meet the Pope, and it's only like a very small room at first. This is the private one, it's not the public one. And it's he goes in and he's still rough. And uh, uh, the Pope's man says to him, he says that his, his holiness will be coming through that door in a couple of minutes. So the boy sat down and he sat with his business manager and he says to him, he says, and it, this is, I led the story I was told, he says, I need a hit. He says, what do you mean you need a hit, Diego? He says, we're in the middle of the back. He says, I'm really, really don't feel well. So his business manager goes to the Pope's man. He says, would it be okay if Diego uses the little bathroom in the corner? Pope's bathroom, this, by the way. Now, and he says, of course, he's course. So Diego goes in there, has his little line of you-know-what, and it sparks him back into action. He comes out and he's happy, he's grinning wide, and the next minute the door opens and Pope John Paul II walks through the door. He goes up to him. Diego kisses his hand and the Pope says to him, Diego, Diego, he says, it's always great to see you and you're always smiling. And this is a story I was told this off a British DJ who works in Buenos Aires just a couple, for, a, for a couple of years and then, you know, when it was the big Manchester thing? Yeah. Manchester, all over the world. And there was a Manchester DJ who was over there and he told me this story and he swore it was true. I mean, look, Diego getting communion, at, at his own version of communion in the Vatican. It all, <laughs> it all tracks. It all tracks. Oh, unbelievable. It, it was a story about should it go in the book? Because, and I thought, well, I've no reason to believe it's not true. You know, I spoke right. to other people, nobody had heard the story before, but the story came from a, a top source, come from a British DJ. Like right. to say, he worked there and he was working there one night in this bar in one of his areas, and the, the entire place run on cocaine, so because uh, it was. He was DJing for all the, uh, for the rich, you know, for the rich young people, the politicians, yep. sons and daughters. So the place was like, literally, you know. And come to Argentina had just played the Maradona, Maradona, Diego had played in the game, just touching 12 o'clock. They came through the door and Diego was, he says it was like Jesus Christ walking through the door. Wow. You know, it's just wow. unbelievable. There was him, Batistuta. They, I think they were the top two, and they said they knew how to pass it. <laughs> well, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, none of that is yeah, shocking. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it was just all these stories, that, you know, that came to light after we passed, because people were talking then. Nobody right. said any of this stuff, but after, I'm not saying it was open house, but people felt a lot more relaxed, mm. especially the players who played with him, and nobody ever said a bad word about himself. Well, that's the, that's also the other thing too that really 
aside from maybe the Barcelona top brass of the 1980s, no one oh, else uh, has yeah. ever <laughs> no one else has ever come out and you know people that have played with him have said he's the one that carried us over the finish line. He's this, he's that. Yeah. But it's all in the positive. Even former managers, even you know. Again, people on the street, we know, always looked yeah. up to him because he's he's the unlikely success story. And well, he was more Neapolitan than what the Neapolitans was. Well, he? That's, yeah. He's that's, a kid of the streets. Yep. I mean, just, you know, the immediate impact that he had getting arriving in Naples and that city just immediately embracing him. Now, to go from Barcelona, yeah. the city... To Napoli, the city, it's 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 two different worlds, both financially, yeah. structurally, artistically. But the one thing that Neapolitans have is is love and passion, and just yeah. if you do good by them, they're going to do great by you. And we we see this time and time again. We've seen this now, and yeah. I'm, you're on at the perfect time. Is Napoli? Napoli have just won their first scudetto in 33 years. And we've seen all the videos and images of the city celebrating yeah. on social media. What was it like? They've not, they not had the official one yet. <laughs> That's the thing. We haven't even gotten, by the time this episode airs, the official celebration <laughs> will happen. But yeah. the, 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 um, <laughs> the, the, that's okay. These, the, um, celebrations of the people, those are what has happened at this point. The, you know, the, the, but what, what was it like for you to see that again? Oh, uh, so games. It was fantastic because it was 33 years. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? There's a lot of people my age, around mid-50s, who was around at the time, who aren't around now. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've seen some some of the scenes. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a massive fan of Twitter. I'm on there to sell the books and for the football. I don't try not to get involved with all the other crap. I understand. Yep, I get that. I was seeing people who have known for years on there Raf, I don't know whether you know Big Raf from Napoli who does the yeah, the course, yeah, yeah, crying his eyes out, absolutely crying his eyes out. And I brought a tear to my eye, oh. but it was just and also when Diego passed in 2020 and he had all the images of the, the dads who were my age with the kids, yeah, you were absolutely devastated. And that they, them dads must have gone on about Diego for years and years and years, and the kids would just say, "Yeah, dad, yeah, go on, yeah." <laughs> and then when he passed, and they, they see what it meant to their old man, and maybe they finally got round to watching all the games. And uh, I, I just think with that, and then to win it to you, and then Argentina in the middle. Yes. Well, so yeah, I wanted to talk about that man. too. Um, keep, keep, keep into you. I want. We'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it was just like, I think he was just looking down and thinking, oh, all right, this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. Yeah. Name the stadium after me. I think that was a wonderful <laughs> touch when they, when they did that. And the night that he passed, and he, I think, no, I think it was the Thursday night, not the Wednesday, but, and they did the ring of fire around the stadium. So yeah. did you see that? And they lit it up at the San Paolo. It was, you know, it was, it came in a, in a time, you know, his death, oh, it was breathtaking. And it was, his death came in 2020 when nothing felt, nothing was right in the world. Nothing, everything was. It wasn't real, was it? No, that was the thing. I was, everything was just a big ball of shit. (laughs) No other way to describe it. Great description, mate. Yeah. 
If you ever write a book about COVID, that's the, that's what you call it, isn't it? A big bottle of shit by John Lennon and Salvador Bono. Yeah. Um, well, once upon a time, a great ball of shit. That's we'll do that. <laughs> we got it. We got it. There's the Pulitzer right there. Um, you know, and I sit back and I remember when he passed, and I'm never gonna forget it because I was I was just in shambles. My wife was just because again, like you had talked about, like fathers talking to their kids about. You know what, Diego and I for years have been talking to her about it, and she she doesn't really follow the game. She appreciates it, or maybe she puts on the a beautiful facade that she appreciates it. But you know, yeah. when he had passed, she had known that like something huge had just happened, and I just I, I I still get emotional thinking about him, and I get very um as you as you were just touching on like spiritual about the it world cup wasn't the same song for me without him being it there. was weird right it was weird not yeah. seeing like every moment i kept thinking they're gonna cut to the stands and he's gonna be doing some dumb dumb yeah. thing that's <laughs> so ridiculous but you're gonna be like oh diego no oh, that's, that's it it was like as long as he's around it's real Right, right. It didn't seem tangible. This, it, no it, matter what they did to the tournaments, the way they've, they've messed about with him. Yeah. So, I agree. And then and then the Euro happens in 2021. And the weekend, mm. Argentina wins Copa Sudamerica. The next day, Italy wins the Euro. And I said to myself, yeah. and I, I put it out on Twitter too, and I said it to some friends, uh, Carlo and Nime, actually, um yeah. they i said i was like this was maradona's weekend it's been oh, six yes. months uh, over six months since he passed his birth country and his adoptive country have now won major trophies they weren't expected to and now they have and now as you mentioned now this year or the last cal you know less 12 and within the last 12 months argentina wins the world cup only yeah. for Napoli then to win the scudetto if that's not weird and if you don't believe in an afterlife i don't know <laughs> What more do you need to convince yourself, right? Absolutely, mate. He, he, I mean, he's on every wall in Naples, and there have been no one passing harder than him. Yeah, it's it's incredible. You know, now, do you find parallels between the Maradona side that won in '90 with Napoli and the Ossiman side that won just now? Wow, what a great, what a question that is. It's what I do here, mate. It's what I do. Good question. I, absolutely brilliant question. I'm, I'm trying to imagine. I think this team are more open. I think they play more open football, especially for the first 30 games of the season. So after Christmas, going into January, February. Mar Maradona's team. You know what, Sal? There's not a lot of difference when, it, when you think back. Right. They're both not both of them are not your archetypal Italian sides, or what you class as your archetypal Italian sides. You know, like the old defensive. I know that a little bit. Of that's gone out the window now. But I, I think Naples is a place on its own. I don't think you're allowed to play right. that type of football. You need to. It has. You have. They have to catch the spirit of the city, don't they? And this this team. It does. It catches the spirit of the city. I know that they kind of struggled to get over the line, but I think there was just so much pressure on him. I think in the I know they done it in the end when they, they won in Naples and they went from there. But I just don't think you will. You, you have to play a certain type of football because the first Napoli team that won it, they they, they attacked. They attacked home and away. Yeah, 
Yeah. I, mean, I was I hoping just... you say this too. I'm because ho- I thought I was be- a little crazy. Like I see so many similarities, but I'm I'm so happy that you have yeah. like, the football self before Christmas was so they were probably the best team in Europe before Christmas. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So when they took Liverpool apart, which is you know it's always nice when Liverpool get took apart, <laughs> but the way they done it was was just sensational. And they, they were doing that in the Champions League home and away. They were going, and they were battering teams. But I just hope they can keep this team together. I don't want them to sell us awesome in. I think that would be a huge mistake if they did that, which I, I don't really think they will. I don't think the fans will allow them to sell. Not this summer. Maybe next. I agree. I agree. And he's I think there. De Laurentiis even knows he's got something special here. Maybe Look how f- close they got to Champions League semifinal. That maybe oh. now next year the goal is the final. If we get a couple more pieces, keep this team intact, get a couple more guys for some depth, um, mm-hmm. we could we could actually maybe go the distance next year. I think next they year could be anybody them, on the day, so they could be any team I, in Europe on the yeah. day. Oh, I agree. I agree. There is something the thing about Napoli as a team and as a city, there is something incredibly punk rock about it. Yeah. That when everyone else is zigging, they're zagging. They have to be different. And this year they find, and it's, and for me, and I think for a lot of other fans of this game and who have watched this team, because look, our family's from Sicily. So I should always be cheering for the Southern Italian teams, you know, but I, but I like a giant yeah. from the North. I'm, I'm an AC Milan supporter, but there's something, there's been something about the De Laurentiis reign in Napoli that has brought a smile to my face. Cause it's always been great players, great football. Well, he saved him, football. didn't he? So oh yeah, he absolutely. He absolutely he brought them from the doldrums of City Chi yeah. to Champions League. I mean, that's not that's not something to laugh about. And you have I always Cavani thought it was it's strange, Iguain. you know. I always thought it was strange from Diego leaving, it kind of coincided with Napoli's demise yes. over 20 years. It's wild. It's a wild thing. It's almost as if it's like, like it's... one couldn't live without the other. I mean, he come back in two thousand. He only come back from ninety one, fourteen years later in two thousand and five for Chiro Ferrara's testimonial. Yeah, he had no idea the reception he was going to get. So he honestly, to God, he had no idea. Really, he didn't know whether they were going to lynch him. He didn't know whether they were going to kill him because he was still a lot of bad feeling. Oh, he thought he was, mm-hmm. and he got to the airport and he's just. Thousands waiting for him, absolutely thousands. It was incredible. And that night at the stadium, the old stadium, if you get a chance to see it on YouTube, just, just have a look at it. Ferrara's testimonial, Diego 2005. They just went mad for him. Oh, wow. And it, it all went from the stable to the stars stories. You know, we left in total humiliation, right. didn't we? On the plane thief in the night when all the drug story broke and everything. And uh, yeah, it, and he, 14 years later, he comes back and it was like the prodigal son. I think he was like, he's like, Billy, it's like strange. And I don't want to sound soppy, but like a love story. I don't think one could live without the other, really. It's it's very, very it's, true. It, yeah. They got that. It was that. Emo- I mean, Naples is an unbelievable emotional city. Diego's an emotional volcano. <laughs> <isn't he>? So <laughs> I think he's one of them. You can't live with him. You can't live without him. Kind of story for me, it's the greatest football story of ever. Ever Diego and Naples, Naples, South, them seven years. And it's, what happened? 
it it truly because it's it's remarkable because no because it's hard for i think younger folks to now comprehend that transfer from barca to napoli because you know now big money can anybody can move anywhere i remember when samuel etto left a treble winning interside to go play in essentially siberia and it was so (laughs) dangerous that one of the best players in the world had to get helicoptered in and out of practice and uh, games, you know, so it, it's not uncommon for superstars now to go to places that are where the money is, where the money dangerous. is, right? But Napoli is is a poor city. Napoli at the time was a poor club in comparison to the other teams in, in Italy. And so to go from Barca, which has always essentially been Barca, and it was pre Johan Cruyff Barca, but um, it uh, in terms of managing, not playing, but in terms of managing, but it just you know that Barcelona side was still a powerhouse. So to go oh, from essentially yeah. that team to then playing for Naples, which and not and playing in Naples for Napoli for a team that no one really paid much attention to and you're allegedly the greatest player in the world what does all this mean and to convince him to go and do it it was all it's something that doesn't it doesn't sound real you know what i'm saying like it doesn't you wouldn't see that today i mean you would see it where the money went but he wasn't the highest paid player in the world at the time he wasn't even the highest paid player in italy at the time um, he was one of them, but he wasn't. It wasn't a blockbuster financial move. It was just a move to have him play and rebuild a reputation. Yeah, but in the well, most unlikely of places, you know, it just doesn't seem. It doesn't make sense, but it makes perfect sense. Well, they offered him the most money, so that's what it was. That's why he went there. And when he arrived there, he was skint. Right. Yeah, he was broke. That's but right. All the money gone in Barcelona. It's, it's sister Jorge sister pillar. That's why I could never remember his name or spell it properly. Ah, that's it. right. Yeah, <laughs> that was the name of the that business. The and he just had an absolutely pig of a time. Every deal he tried to do in Barcelona went wrong. And in the end, they, they, they were skint. They were absolutely skint, and they also owed money to drug dealers. Right, right. Another reason why the deal went through pretty fast because Diego was borrowing money off. Uh, Cesar Manotta, oh. who was his, his just to keep him afloat. Right. You got to remember, 20 odd people with him, right? Right, he lived in the his entourage as such. Oh, he had a bullfighter and everything with him. With him, Diego, it, just, it was madness. And come the, come the time, <clears throat> Napoli stumped up the money, so he was going, he was going to Naples. And it, Napoli couldn't even, it wasn't, half of it wasn't the club's money, half of it was Camorra money. Right, right, right. Which is why they think, they thought that when he got there, they wanted a piece of him. Right. So And then the, the story unfolds. It's not, you know, football story, is it? Because you can't keep him on the pitch. I always struggled when I was writing the book to keep him on the pitch because there was that much else going on. It's such a fascinating story. So he goes to Naples, and within a year, the, the, his best friends with uh, I call Luigi Giuliano, uh, the Lion. They call Il Leone. They called him. He was one. He was the the Giuliano fan family of the clan. Ran the Fascia district, which was like the docks in the city and all the hardest 
uh, part of the city, really, and they ran that. And he just became like one of the brothers. He was at all the parties. So you can imagine what they were like. And they, they loved it. They, he absolutely adored it, Diego, because he saw these people as like himself. You know, they dragged themselves up from utter poverty. And now mm. they did something. They were like princes of the city. And he, he, he was one of them. I mean, he, he had all... Do you remember the famous pictures of him with the... Of course, yeah. And then the, in the in the documentary... He was like, there's, there's absolutely. The him at the like, party. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you know, there was 500 hours of footage that nobody had ever seen, which they used for that documentary. And that's a book in itself. Yeah. Came from, yeah. He it's also done. had, if I'm not mistaken, he had a custom-made Ferrari, too. It was yeah. like, I think Ferrari at the time only came in red. That was it. Like the street version of a Ferrari came in red and he wanted his in black. And I think that's how black Ferraris got onto the market was because Diego was like, no, I want it in black. And they, well, it, the power. No. Yeah. If Diego wanted something, he got it. <laughs> so, they, they had to get it. It was as simple as that. I want a black Ferrari. Right. Uh, <laughs> I want a strawberry ice cream at three o'clock in the morning. It, it was there because he was the king of Naples. Well, everything was going well on the pitch and he was performing miracles on the pitch and he, they were beating you into Milan, you AC Milan. They put Juventus first to bed at the San Paolo. They hadn't beaten for so many years and his free kick. That's right. You know, like, shot that put paid to They called it the curse, put paid to that. He was... A, like Paulo is said Scarface in football boots, nobody could touch him. It <laughs> Long was... he was still doing it on the pitch, and then when he couldn't, obviously that when everything went to hell. Right, right. Because he had the drug test. He never obviously he was he, what he was on at the time. He never got he never shown up because they always in Naples they always use somebody else's uh Yuri. Right. It was always right. I mean one time it went horribly wrong and he, Diego was found to be pregnant. I don't know how they did. <laughs> but they got out of that. You know, they got out of that. And when he was tested away from home, the, the same thing would, would apply. And he was he was never caught until that one time where he, he was he was just a wreck by that time. Right. Like, couldn't it do was it anymore. so obvious, too. Like, there was something clearly... Oh. Eyes glazed over or, uh, yeah. or moving at a million miles an hour. <laughs> Um, yeah. he looked like a fiend, was, you know. That was off the pitch, though, wasn't it? Oh, someone right. on the pitch. I right. can't imagine cocaine helping him. <laughs> I've never had it myself, but the parties must have been something incredible. I mean, I love these, you know, the films about Escobar. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Mexican cartel. Well, years later, you know, Diego got invited to go and see. Uh, Escobar, you know, when they put it, well, they called it a prison, it was more like a hotel, wasn't it? Right, right. So he, paid, he paid him, paid Diego so much money, and Diego went, had a game of football and a party with Escobar, and then was on his way. So that's just, I mean, that is just a story that you couldn't make up. Because, <laughs> of course. 90s, late 90s, I think, that one. I'm not sure, not sure when it was, yeah, but it's definitely. Pablo dies in 94, right? Right. Before. Yeah, it was yeah, be before that then, yeah. Yeah. So he but he was just exiled from Napoli at that point. He was home, you know, he was home in South America. It's That's causing that he's shooting journalists, wasn't he? Right, right. Jesus Christ. He'd, he'd had a year in Sevilla 
Like right. book, it was only one year in Sevilla, and the stuff he got up to, because Sevilla's like in the south of Spain, and it's the oranges, and it's a gypsy country, so himself, was, he was clean when he went to Sevilla, he got off it, and he went, and he saw, he saw himself as the gypsy king, you know, I'm going to do what I did, for, what I did for Naples, do the same for Sevilla, and he was great for, for the first months, and then, as ever, Sally, he, he, won, he went off the wagon one night, and all hell let loose, and he was only there a season. Yeah, it, I have to ask a question about the Sevilla transfer. Is it true that Silvio Berlusconi helped broker that deal and put up some money for him to go to Sevilla, or is that urban legend? I'm not sure about that. He might have wanted to do it just to get him out of the way. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, that was a transfer enough because Fellaino, the Napoli president, still held Diego's contract, so we couldn't right. go. He, he couldn't literally couldn't go to Sevilla. So the, he, he says, I want you to come back. So Fellaino like, announces to, to Napoli that Diego's coming back without Diego and said he was going to go. <laughs> and so the, the way Diego got out of that, he says, well, I want a home in Capri. I want a helicopter to take me to the training. I want a chauffeur-driven. He, he just, he's, I want so much of this, so much of that. In the end, the conditions were such that Fellaino just had to bite the bullet and took the money off Sevilla. Right. He was like like the Barcelona thing at the last minute. Their president, Nunes, suddenly, I don't remember if somebody had a word in his ear, this is the greatest, it might be a pain in the you-know-what, he says, but this is the greatest football in the world. So even at the last minute, Barcelona was started to have doubts. But in the end, he just, Diego told them, he said, if you don't let me go to Naples, I will make your life hell. And he'd already been involved in that. Do you remember the Kung Fu? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's with the Spanish king sat next to the past the president. Diego's sex off to 20 feet in the air and lands on the butcher of Bill Bowser's head. Right. I mean, that was payback for the for the injury. It had been brilliant because them two teams hated each other. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's just the uh, coincidence that Wherever he goes, we used to say about Cantona at United, there was always that whiff of gunfire, you know, wherever he went. I think Diego was like nuclear powered. Yeah, that's right. If Cantona was gunpowder, Diego yeah. was nuclear. And and again, Absolutely. you're putting this in, in, in Napoli and you're putting this in a city where everything is pretty volatile, but again, passionate. On my yeah. birthday this past year, you released a beautiful book, a beautiful story called Sunny, the journey from Kakuma to Naples. What is that story? Tell the audience. And how did that come about? The song. You know, the song Sunny. Yeah. It's always been one of my favorites. And with all the stories of the immigrants across the world now, everything's just fluid. <coughs> Excuse me. It was just after Diego died. I just said, wouldn't it be an amazing story if it's like this kid? And it was all very Peter Pan based. There's right. a lot of people. Because there was the Lost Boys. There were these kids from who come all the way from, oh, what was the country next door to Kenya? There was a big civil Sudan, I think it was. Right. It was a big civil war. And these kids, they called them the Lost Boys because there was none of them was older than 10 years old. They came to travel over a thousand miles and they were fighting off going through the jungle and they were fighting off crocodiles. 
that were going through wars and not all of them made it. There's only about 200 and odd of them made it. Just like this mass bunch of kids, orphans. And they finally get to this refugee camp in Kenya and some somebody just called the Lost Boys. But then it all just started to come together for me. I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if one of these kids, the dad was a Maradona fan and he spent all these years in Kakuma, this, this camp, and then Diego passes and it becomes his one thing to go to Naples uh, and just light a candle for him. And he's also this story that he has this ball. He's had this ball with him ever since he was a young kid and the ball had bullet holes in it. He, he kept hold of it all the way. And his ambition is to get to Naples from Kakuma with the ball and place it, you know, on that little cathedral, that little thing what they made up for Diego in the Fischer. Yes, yes, with the beautiful mural and the window. Yeah. yeah, and the idea is to tell the story of because I did a lot of research on it on what actually happens, you know, with these people uh, when they paid it, uh, the people smugglers and how they get them, from, how they got him from Kakuma uh, through the Sudan from Egypt over from Cairo to your to your neck of the woods, Sicily, <laughs> and it's the final, you know, that final boat ride. Yeah over to the southern, southern part of Italy, where a lot of them was killed because the Camorra was being paid off, weren't they? They were just boats getting blown to bits. Right. And, and it's just the story of, I just always stuck in my head of this, this one bloke who loved Diego, and he, he finally gets to Naples, and he, he, he does this thing. <clears throat> and then there's a twist, I won't say what happens, but then he has to get back. He's the only one who's ever had to get back to a refugee camp. Finally it's a beautiful it. story. It, it and it just it feels it's so cinematic. I do hope that someone picks up the movie rights, and if someone is listening, uh, uh contact our friend John. Um, because this if you is know anyone over there, Sal, they're all available. Oh, uh, look, they this one, this one really thank you, mate. Oh, you're welcome, mate. Because this one tugged at my heart. Because what the thing that matters most to me is how we treat one another, and we don't yeah. treat people kindly anymore even though we should and there are people that are coming to places for help and there are people that are coming and i'm not trying to be preachy or anything but no, I'm, I'm hoping no, that mean. maybe an american politician is listening and maybe thinking oh you know uh kindness matters um but it's your book encapsulates the struggle for so many in around the world and so many of us tend to forget about that and don't think about it and some and there are so many especially people in power there's no at, such thing as black and white, is it? That's it. And they look and then they everything's they, in the they, they struggle as like, oh, well, that's their problem. And yeah. why is it becoming our problem? Well, you know, these places are still full of hope and uh, opportunity and prosperity. And that, that's you know, it's Italy's immigrants came to America for a better life, and now people are going to Italy for a better life. It's it's just a circle on right. how things work. Just I don't know, help each other out. That's it. And this story is just so beautiful because it allows you to still dream. Like there's still, a, even in the darkest times, you can still dream. The thing was, I wanted to do as well, I, I wanted the twist that he had to get back to the refugee camp. <laughs> you know, so there's a story of how he gets back as well. And it's it's all, obviously, it's all dra dra drama. It's, it's not an interesting story in it, but all the characters are based. There's, there's no... God, obviously, you know, you read it. There's they're not no black and white, there's no good and bad. There's just traces of it. Mm -hmm. Everybody in the story, apart from obviously the kids in the school. But it and then 
I put the song on on my phone. So it's uh, I've always loved that song, but every every time the bloody phone goes off now and that song comes oh, on, I love it. That's weird, but it does. It's Bobby. I can't remember. Was it Bobby something? Bobby Roofs or something who wrote the. He did the song. But yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Cheers, Sal. Oh, you're glad... welcome, mate. It was. I was in <laughs> Portugal when I saw you had released it. I was on. I was on holiday in Portugal, and uh, it just happened yeah. to be during my birthday, and I saw that. Oh, John's got a new book out. Oh, let me just download it. Must, it. Oh, I, yeah, it must be Monday. It must it was, be. It Monday. was a beautiful. It was a beautiful <laughs> birthday gift, unintentional birthday gift, and I'm reading it. Thank I'm just you. Like, I read it in a couple. Of, I read it like in just a couple of days. I was like, "This is beautiful. This is awesome." You know, right up my alley. Um, yeah, all yeah. my stuff—they're all meant. They're all around thirty thousand, and it's words, and it's purposely cinematic. Yeah, this you know this it's, one especially. It's like this the Maradona. One. The Maradona book was written. I was written. Uh, listening to Morricone and drinking red wine when I wrote that. <laughs> That'll put you in the mindset for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. but I want the audience to know, though, that Napoli isn't the only basis of your writing. You've written about oh. United, you've written about Argentina, you've written about Paolo Rossi, and last year yeah. you published Once Upon a Time in Kiev. As the war continues to rage on in Ukraine, what was that experience like looking back on the country's history through football? It was... <laughs> this is the story once upon a time in Kiev. Uh, nobody still knows to this day whether it really happened, whether it was a legend, but it kind of... I'd had the story for a while, and I finished the story, and then all hell broke loose in the Ukraine, didn't it? And I thought, yeah. oh, what else should put this out? But I thought, yeah, because I'd had it, I'd, I'd held it back a little because I just wanted to keep working on it and keep working on it. It's kind of like Escape to Victory meets Schindler's List, for want of a better word. Yeah, yes. It's just, again, it's the, it's the characters. There's, there's no, you know what I mean? There's no black or white. And for this Ukrainian seeming who played the jet, it was actually called, it, it was Dynamo Kiev, but the Germans wouldn't let them use that name. So they called themselves Start, as if they were starting again. Mm. And they played. Germans, uh, it's supposed to just, I mean, they were starving. They were working, they put them to work in a baker. They were luckily, they never killed them, actually. Right. And they put them to work in a, a bakery. Anyway, the idea came for a charity, not for a charity game, uh, you know, to make the Germans look good. We'll smash Kiev. Anyway, so they, they arranged for this game to be played, and Kiev absolutely battered them, even though, anyway, so the Germans are now humiliated. So they, they bring another team in, which is stronger, and the Kiev batter him again. And on the third the third occasion, they're told, if you don't lose the game, you're all going to be uh, killed at the end of the game. Firing squad. Anyway, so Kiev, they go 2-3-1 down, and they win 5-3. Wow. The story is, at the end of the game, the Germans took them out to Babi, and they shot, I think they shot eight of them or something. But there's so many takes on this story, Sally, whoever you listened to for years, it was said it was just Russian propaganda. But a lot of people who was actually at the game said, no, we saw the, we saw the game. So in the end, I thought there'd been a book about the actual, not the true story of it, but the technical issue side of it over the years. I thought, no, I'm just going to write the bloody legend, me. Yeah. Just write the legend and go with that. I'm dead proud of it. Yeah, look, it came out at the it, it bizarrely came out at a 
it just it came out at a bizarre time. Just full stop right there. There's the sentence I'm trying to say. Yeah, they, uh, can't, they, can't, they can't blame me for that one. No, 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 not at all, not at all, <laughs> not at all, not at all. They, your name's not Johnny Vladdy. Um, Absolutely, um, it's nothing to do with me. But it, but so like as I'm, I saw because not much is also written about. Ukrainian football. And I always find yeah. a great way to learn about a culture is through sport. And I, I was just, well, here, of course, John's written a book on it because <laughs> no one else is going to fucking do it. So John's doing it and he's done it already. So you look at a great place, the bad over the years, so yeah. And you think great boxes now as well. Yeah. You know, sporting nation. Yeah. Oh For years, God. they were swallowed up by the Russians anyway, weren't they, till 91. So their best place was playing for Russia. I right. think Block, Oleg Blocking originally, I think he was Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. It's just a, just a fantastic story that, again, you couldn't make, you can't make the real stories up if you know what I mean. Just, right. No, that's the thing. Truth is stranger than fiction. And what's funny is, yeah. is that that team, that Dynamo team, uh, from the book that you're that you've written, it it just it embodies the entire spirit of the Ukrainian people. It's really truly Absolutely. unbelievable, you know, because it is a David and Goliath match for them. Um, the war is still going on. Let's not forget about that. And it's what what people thought would only last two weeks, two days, really has gone on over a year. And it's it's the triumph of their spirit. It's unbelievable. It's hard to get your head round in it, so in this day and age, it's, it's strange, man. It's, it's really, you know. Um, we've traveled a lot through your work already, uh, but one thing we need to talk about is Manchester United and your fandom of the club. So how did that come about? Dropped on my head as a baby. <laughs> it's a family, it was a family thing, so I had no choice. Do you know what I mean? When you come yeah. through families, like the baseball with you guys and stuff, once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. And I've oh, I loved him. I loved him. My first game was uh, 1978, 29th of January, 1978. We got beat by three by West Brom, which you won't be surprised. I've got a book out about. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I went all, all through the 80s when we never won anything. I had a season ticket, but I, it was just the best years of my life. And then the year before we finally won it, the league is like Napoli, 26 years in 1993. 1967, I think I think it was. Uh, the guy whose season ticket was, he was a mate of my dad's. He worked at Saudi Airport. He was chief electrician at Saudi Airport. He decided to retire. So he wanted his season ticket back. So I went through 12 years of never seeing us win anything. And Billy comes back and he sees it's nothing but riches for the next 10, 15 years. <laughs> but I'd still go. But obviously, when you get married and kids turn up and all that, and it's just too expensive now, but it, yeah. it's got worse as I've got older. So, honestly, you think it's, you get yeah. mature and stuff, you don't. You get worse. You, you get worse watching <laughs> it on the telly. What a disgrace, honestly. When I think, so, sometimes I'm getting stared at in the house and it's just sheer, what is wrong with him? You know, that kind of thing. I mean, I've been known to stand up and try and stare, outstare the referees, you know, in the middle of the game. It's like, Dad, sit down. You can't see you. <laughs> it does, it just gets under your skin. And with you, I mean, could you pick more two 
frustrating, magnificent, wonderful football clubs than Napoli and Manchester United. What's funny is, is that, so this is also, is again, I'm a product of my era. And by the mid-1990s, up, up until obviously modern, the United was a powerhouse. United yeah. from as soon as Sir Alex steps out, class of '92, so Alex comes within a couple of years. Boom, they are the global brand, the New York Yankees of not only British football but pr- probably waving the flag for all of European football. Um, I think United was the first billion. I could be wrong on this. The first billion pound sports club. It wouldn't surprise me. It would either have to be them or, or, or Real Madrid, but it would neither neither would surprise me. And it's and it's crazy to see them now not win anything, and it's bizarre to see them not win anything. And I'm not even a United fan, but it's just sort of there are certain things that yeah, okay, you know, you just learn to accept um, that United will win, and it's yeah. not the case anymore. So, what's it like for you to now feel that you're almost back in the '80s again? Well, talk about more gray right? <laughs> <laughs> The uh, in a way, you know, it's obviously you can't go off Twitter because Twitter's poison when it comes to Manchester United mm-hmm. with most clubs. But I, uh, as soon as Ferguson said that when he walked on the pitch in 2012, was it 2000? Said, uh, look after your manager. I thought we're in trouble here because <laughs> no one's going to follow this guy. No one's going to, because it was just too much. And there's, there's been money spent. I know the Glazers have ripped the soul out of it, but, you know, it's just been badly managed. Right. That's just been shockingly managed. I mean, we've had people like Mourinho going there and try, and try and sort it. I think we maybe got him when he just got past his best. We had Van Gaal going, going there, who was technically, tactically one of the best around. And then we give it Solskjaer, who who done okay. They all don't, apart from David Moyes, who probably didn't get enough time. Well, he didn't. Right. I feel like David Moyes didn't get a chance to really Yeah. Start. I don't think he's a terrible manager, but it is. Well, you know what happened with him, though, Sal? The worst thing apparently Ferguson said to him, keep all the backroom staff and you'll be all right. You'll win the league again. And the first thing he did, he got rid of him. Right. Right. So that's. So that kind of. Yeah, it's it's just been so. I think this guy we've got now is the best we've had since Ferguson. Because I remember when Fergie come, so and people wanted him gone. Right. In a year and a half, they were screaming, "Who's this fella?" You know, it was just, and he, he had certain games where if he wouldn't have won these games, and it's like fate, history, then obviously everything unfolds. You've got managers, you only you say they've got a plan, you've got a five-year plan and all that. They don't exist anymore. You get 18 months. If you're lucky, you get 18 months. If you're lucky, yeah. But Chelsea, you get, well, you get 18 days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a sad this, state of affairs. And that's the British I think this that guy like, we've got... <laughs> it's a you, sad state of affairs. You've got a gun with Pochettino or I think he'll get you back on... Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of him. I'm not gonna lie to you. No. I'm not. I'm not crazy. He's not. I think he's a decent manager. I do think he's the manager right now for Chelsea because he will be the one to steady the ship, and that's what he does. But when it comes to like sinking your teeth and yeah. really devouring so the some, opponents and winning, he's not the guy. He's not the guy. You got some. You got a magnificent squad. You get a decent manager. Some well, of the fucking billion pounds. It better be a magnificent squad. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, if, if if he does it right, you know he's right. Chelsea That's the back. thing. If he does it right, he'll be. But Ten Hang, though, the thing about the difference why I like Ten Hang, the difference between him and Poch is this: Pochettino, in a lot of ways, to me, feels like a yes man. Whereas Ten Hang is just like, hey, Ronaldo, you want to go on Piers Morgan and talk about the club and the backroom yeah. staff? You're out of here. See you later. I don't care who you are. That to me is just, you want to you wanna see who's got big cojones, Chrissy? I'm going to show you who's got bigger cojones. And that's yeah. it. And what, It's the eyes, isn't it? So I, it's I, the I, eyes. Yeah, the it's, eyes. it's, it's that Dutch Ferguson, intensity. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's something about this fella. I mean... This season has been so up and down. It's it's just been incredible with the World Cup and getting right. done seven at Liverpool. You know what I mean? It just it doesn't even. I don't even know why I brought it up to be quite honest. But <laughs> to go from that and then we win the League Cup and three weeks time we've got City in the FA Cup final, which could be like one of the best days of my life since kids were born. Or the St Valentine's Day massacre. No, it's. <laughs> <laughs> You don't know with this United team. Right. That's the thing you don't know. I'm hoping, though, that just for just for their sake, because, again, it's, I don't know. Like, there are certain teams that, granted, I'm not a fan of, but, I, like, I don't want to see United fail. I, they're just too big to fail. And I feel like, yeah, there's been an embarrassment of riches over the years with the amount of trophies they won and, you know, the fans yeah. – can't complain too much, but you know, you is, got used to it, so but you, you got you used to it. And I, and even me as a spectator, did. I've gotten used to it. I've gotten used to seeing United win. Mm, Silver way around, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's true. It, it literally is. It's shocking. I mean, I don't trust this United team. I, I, I wish I could, but I just don't trust them. Now, here's you a know, here's the billion dollar question for you that there is talks about one Victor Aussie men. Maybe well, he's talked about his dream being the Premier League, and United have been keeping a close eye on him. How would you feel right. him leaving Napoli for United again? I'm hoping it's not this season. The following season, anything's up for grabs, you know. But uh, how would you feel about that? <laughs> I think we'd have to kidnap him, Salty. Him out of there, this <laughs> oh, well, buy him. Maybe next year, but then again. You're up against, you're going to get outbid. Right, right. Napoli can ask what they want for him, the way things are at the moment. And there's only, I mean, City have got Ireland, so I don't, I can't see him going there. Real Madrid just invent money, don't they? So, <laughs> honestly, I just don't know how they do it. I, I don't know. Looking like they've got the kid Bellingham, haven't they? Mm-hmm. I'd love to get to get Osman to answer your question, mate. I'd lo- I think he'd be perfect for United because he dominates that penalty area. Yeah. You know, he's, he's just a suffocating player. He does the- more in a warm up than what Martial does in ninety minutes. It's that's the you thing know. is that you see the you see the gulf in different in class and in different. Oh. You know, and I don't know if that's the Napoli way or if that's just Victor's disposition because. I, you're right. What he does, nobody knows what he's thinking. He's right. saying nothing. He's, you can imagine they, 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 they'd have been approached. They'll have all the offers on the table. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But 
but it's you know it's a it's a wild one it's a wild it's it's the wild west when it comes to where transfers can go but you know it is i'm curious to see what united can do this upcoming season because it has been a roller coaster if i think they'll get kane yeah you think think so or you don't yeah i think that's the plan i think they'll get Kane. i mean that's not my i just i'm not saying about a tip-off but I've got a couple of mates who are Tottenham fans and they're hearing whispers down there. And by the time this goes out, it could be. Right. I don't know. But but awesome at United would be phenomenal. <laughs> Maybe they'd get a package due and they get him and Carvachella and uh, they recreate the magic. Maguire. The <laughs> uh, John. Oh, Maguire, Maguire go down well in Naples. My God. But Maguire. I'm still surprised is not in a Greek prison, but we'll uh, we'll leave that for another podcast. I I I don't. <laughs> I think it. that sticks with your true crime thing. But it, that's that story. <laughs> the kinds of the wrong people. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from ModCup.com. ModCup, drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. John, I'm so grateful for you to have you on. I'm not done yet. We've got three rapid-fire questions to ask. Brilliant. And these pertain to either club, just or they can go to both. Just let me know who. Um so it's either Napoli or United, but we'll start off. Uh, if you could bring back one retired player to your club, alive or dead, who would it be and why? It'd be uh, Brian Robson for United. Nice. nice. Brian Robson. And it'd be the little guy, obviously, for our guys in Naples. I like that. If, I like if playing the same, actually, Diego. Just playing off Osterman. My God. Oh, um, could you imagine? Like, this is why I wish sometimes the video games, we live in an era where, like, we can have so much at our disposal video game-wise, and I kind of wish that you could create teams and make simulations where you would see what it would look like to have a Diego Maradona with Victor Osimhen and Caracciella all on one team. Or see, like, Baresi and Maldini uh with Ibrahimovic you know it's just I would love to that, just see that those. Milan team you spoke about so that's the best team I've ever seen oh yeah honest to God with the club. Dutch lads and that defense best oh. I've ever seen. oh what a special team what a special mm. team that'll be they go on about total football they'd murder this city team I think they'd murder anybody. I really, I think yeah. they, I think they would murder Pep's Barca. I think they would murder mm-hmm. Pep's City. I think they would. Uh, I, I, I think that any of the Madrid Galacticos wouldn't be able to hold a candle next. Because yeah. the thing they is, talk, is that, they talk about pressing, don't they? Sell nobody yeah, press like nobody. And it was a philosophy too, is that Saki was able to manage to have them change on a dime in the middle of a, yeah. I don't, I've never seen anything like it. It was almost like, you know, when you watch synchronized swimming in the Olympics um, yeah. and everybody's in unison and then one person does one thing and they all know how to, It's it was choreographed in a way that I, I've never seen it done in, in football. That's I've cool. seen it. That's the cool. only thing that's come close for me in my lifetime is seeing 
uh, Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls with Phil Jackson and the the triangle offense that they had, that special run of play that they would do. That's where it was choreographed, a choreography that not only looked brilliant, but it gave, gave tremendous, tremendous results. Yeah. So. Sorry, mate, you're all the two questions. It's all right. It's all good. I can talk about Milan forever now. Now you're interviewing me on my own podcast. <laughs> Way to go, pal. And now, all right. So now, if if United or Napoli can sign one player today, who would it be and why? Ah, oh. the United that I go for. Just give me one second, mate. I will go for. Mbappe. Oh, nice. I like that. And for Napoli, uh, if they could get it. <laughs> Do you know what I think would be magical? It's never happened. This is like Walt Disney. If Messi goes to Napoli for his last year. Oh, oh my goodness. Next year. Oh, my goodness. What story that would be. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Because I think then he'll not only he'll get the love that he had at Barca, He'll get the love that they have for Diego, and I can smell a Champions League victory right there. Oh, my goodness. That would be something. And finally, my friend, what has been your favorite moment as a fan of this game? It could be Wednesday night when hopefully Real Madrid knocks City out. <laughs> but... <laughs> I think it has to be 99, you know, the, the, I was there at the game in Barcelona when we 1-0 down to Bayern Munich. Oh, my was, God. Yeah. Two goals on Sir Matt's birthday. 91st and the 92nd minute. Wow. It is ridiculous. It's just incredible. I, I wrote somebody's autobiography last year, a good mate of mine, and we were, I was writing about that. And it it was so, it's so hard to describe because so many... People in the stadium were still celebrating the first goal. Michelle, they, they missed the second. They didn't know it was good. The second goal. We're still celebrating the first. And we, but we won the cup. We won the cup. Wow. And it, just the sight of the, the big Italian referee, you know, picking the Bayern Munich players up off the floor. and Because we mugged them. We literally, we mugged them. It was like last minute. We were terrible that night. We never played. Played for the last 15 minutes. But it was, do you know, sometimes you get that something's going to happen because that season had been incredible mm -hmm. with with Fergie time. And it was just like, it was just the fantastic, it was the best. It was just, it was ridiculous. You couldn't have made it up. And that's that, then that minute. I think the equaliser, because you were, you were still flying and then we got the corner and then we, then we won it. And it was just, it was Harry Potter stuff. That was the only way you could describe it. It was just like someone had waved the magic wand and we'd won the European Cup. But that, 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 that's my best moment in football. Oh, again, the poetry that you put into it is brilliant. Oh, John, thank you so much. Please come back. Uh, I do an extra time segment in between seasons. What anytime you have an open invitation, anytime to come back, my friend. I'm no, looking you forward just to give, next week. Give us a shout. Give us a shout anytime, my friend. Oh. Talking to you, mate. It's been really good. Oh, thank you. What a day. Thank you so much.
You take care, Bob. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.